Dev. Oh, oh, it's oh goddammit. <laughs> I just remembered. It has um very phallic gnome imagery on the handle. It has two gnomes boning <laughs> into the handle. Phallic gnome imagery. imagery. <laughs> Actually, like I regret calling this podcast Monsters and Multiclass when it could have gone with phallic gnome <laughs> imagery. Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your weekly Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bordigal. I'm Will Melvin. And we'll be hanging out with you for the next hour to talk about anything and everything D&D related. This week we'll be looking at the Barbarian Druid Multiclass, and then later on the Frog Hemoth from Volo's Guide to Monsters, page 145. So pull up a chair and listen up. Alright, so today again we're going to be talking about the Barbarian and the Druid. Uh, the Barbarian uh, is a very melee-based uh, attacker. Uh, its main class feature is its rage ability, whereas a Druid is a full spellcaster, uh, very nature-based, and its main feature that sets it apart from other spellcasters is that it can wild shape, which is turning into random animals of certain challenge ratings. Uh, so to start this off... Kevin, what are your thoughts on the Barbarian Druid multiclass? So from a role-playing perspective, this is almost too easy. Like, it, it fits so well. The um, the fluff of the Barbarian is most of it. They're like tribes people mm-hmm. living out in the wilderness and surviving out there. And then one of those being a Druid makes perfect sense. So I like the idea of I came up with some actually really detailed backstory ideas that are not that so that's what my focus is going to be on. Great. Mechanically, I don't really know. I hope you guys carry me. <laughs> I've got some things. Will? Honestly, this is T-Ball. It's just like Kevin said, this is a very easy to justify class. Barbarians, by their very nature, if they have any kind of intellectual basis, fall into the druid archetype. Mm-hmm. And even just like briefly mentioning mechanics, we're looking at their wild shape which can be raged through. Yeah, that's going to be very important. A raging bear that, you know, you kill it, and guess what you get? You get a barbarian at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that's a terrible prize for defeating the monster, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a very important thing to, to yeah. just remember throughout the entirety of this podcast. Uh, barbarians rage can be done before they go into the wild shape. I actually don't think there's any reason they can't do it in wild yeah. shape. And with wild shape, it says they can't cast spells. It's right. not a spell. Exactly. It's just a, a, a mode they enter into. Uh, so those two main class features synergize very yeah. well. Yeah, pretty much actually every single barbarian, not every, almost all barbarian traits can be used in wild shape. Correct. Because the reckless they, attack, the resistance for like the bear totem barbarian mm-hmm. where they get resistance to all damage. That's just insane. Like, yep. Very much so. The other thing to note is that the barbarian like almost apes the druid in a way with his, you know, bear totems, hawk oh, totems. Yes. He right. pretends to be an animal with his characteristics. Now he can actually be one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's easy. It's it's perfect. Right. It's, the stat crossover also works out pretty well. Uh, barbarians require 13 strength. Druids require 13 wisdom. There's not really any complications there. No. It's, as we've talked about before, we like wisdom. It's a good stat. It's mm-hmm. Any, any character is going to benefit from it. Definitely. Um, no issues there. All right. So RP-wise, as we said, it's, it's really simple. Um, mm-hmm. You can just straight up say, I want to be a barbarian and a druid, and nobody's going to question that. Right. Kevin, you've got some interesting things. What do you got? Yeah. So I, I tried to uh, make it a little more interesting than just the default. Um, and a lot of times with some of these, we, we were like grasping at straws or just kind of melding together these even general concepts. Since this one is so established, I kind of went into more detail mm-hmm. with it. It was actually kind of fun. I might do this more going forward. Um, so one, where you start out as a druid, you are a, a citizen of a city that's very industrialized. They've grown quickly, and they're kind of destroying nature around them. Okay, They're tearing down forests to you know build into it, blocking and damming rivers, putting smog and pollution into the air. And as nature does and in a kind of sense it fights back and i mean not necessarily like some intelligent entity doing it it just (laughs) have a mic stand um lost my train of thought too (laughs) 
So Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not really where this is. We're not going with that. No. So you've got a yeah. druid in an industrial society. Uh, and nature's fighting back at this push towards civilization. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like the smog and the pollution causes weird weather patterns that are fucking with their crops. They're damming rivers, which later on in the rainy season causes floods and wipes out areas of the city. And it, um, you're displacing beasts and powerful wild animals that find themselves in the city and terrorizing people. It's stuff like that. So it's becoming a real problem. So they try and put this kind of almost this task force in place of druids who they kind of bill it as a come and help us live more in tune with nature. And they are seen, they're put on a pedestal. They're seen as heroes. They're given the good life. Everything is taken care of. Everybody knows their name because they're going to save the city and do all this great stuff. And they're dedicating their lives to doing this. So they're, they're trained in the way of druids to better understand nature and all that. But it really, it turns out the powers that be They're not really trying to live in tune with nature. They're trying to control and dominate it. And the idea is these druids who have been given this pampered life, once they actually kind of figure that out, they've been drawn in by the good life. They're not going to give give that up for their original ideals and they'll get on board. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll help you. The city control everything around it. You know, fuck nature and all that. Just let us keep living this life we're living. But you, your scrappy little upstart PC, of course, is not going for that. Because <laughs> right. you're a PC. You're stubborn little shits. It's how it seems to work. And they rebel against it. But every, you know, every um, members of the task force that they worked with and grew up with and gained in power with is fighting against them. And it seems this entire city turns on them. Their name is tarnished. They're pretty much put out there as being villains and terrible and just trying to destroy the city and everybody know they turns against them and that ignites this primal rage in them where they essentially lose it they they leave the city how it depends how you want to play you can have them they, they kind of go on a rampage on the way out uncontrolled or not i don't know it's up to you but they leave this abandoned everything go on into this world and so they have all this druid abilities but they're also kind of scarred as a person now they have this anger and this rage for what happened to them and kind of what they helped do and weren't smart enough to realize it and everyone betrayed them which adds to this barbarian level going up this kind of they tap into this rage and now they travel the world trying to do the best they can for for nature, trying to undo what they've done and also trying to get control of this rage, or maybe they accept this as part of them. That's great. Yeah, Honestly, right? I'm I'm really that's I'm blown away. That's really good. Um, you really are easy to blow away. But <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it, it's a great observation of like an eco aristocracy where you elevate this ecological value. To the point where it no longer means anything. It's just signaling that I care about nature. And that's what society rewards. And so you lose it when you realize that these people aren't for saving the whales. They're for Mm. saving society. And also we need a few whales. You know, that's that's like a really uh, great character concept for a chaotic good. I hate that people aren't committed to this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it brings up a lot of really interesting takes when you get into other cities. Say, at this point, it's kind mm-hmm. of assumed that the original place you uh, come from isn't going to be very welcoming of you. Right. Um, so you're kind of ostracized from your original homelands. You're traveling around. Maybe you find an adventuring party. It's expected. Um, and then you get into places and just, I feel like it'd be a very big focus of like your character where you get in you're like, well... How do they treat nature? Right. And that's a really ambiguous way to say it. But, yeah. you know, is this like a very industrial city? In which case, you're probably going to be very unfriendly to a lot of the people you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you go into a small village that's trying to live off the land and understands the idea of got to put in what you what you take out, uh, you're going to be a lot friendlier, willing to help. Uh, it's very, very wide character. Yeah, yeah, a lot Breath you can do with it. A lot of little details you could change to fit with what you want. So I'll uh, we we don't do this a lot. We did agree. this last episode. No, <laughs> we never agree. First <laughs> off, because you're all wrong. But let's look at a racial aspect of this. Mm. Like, I think a great uh, 
observation would be the dwarves uh, always were a more sequestered race. And sequestered, they were fine. You know, you can run those forges in the mountains. But when they found out they could make more money in the cities, I could see them taking that too far. Yeah. I can see, like, uh, especially a dwarf barbarian rogue type rejecting his people's ideals because when introduced to nature, they ruin it. So, right. you know, we got dwarves, we got elves, could also be a very good role for this. Humans, they don't have a big stake in this kind of thing. Like, no. As a race, but I'm wondering what you guys think of races in this particular setup. I mean, first one that always comes to mind is going to be wood elf. They're a very nature-based elf type. I mean, they, they live in the woods. So uh, by the way that you were describing it, it sounds like they're pulling in druids from outside of the city originally. Possibly, or individuals in the city who have shown promise for Right, that. right. So, I mean, wood elves are, of course, going to be very in tune with taking care of nature. Um, I mean, you could even go with a turtle. I know that sounds <laughs> kind of strange, but, like, they're... Uh, they fit along that line of really both barbarian and druid just from their stat block and as well as their history. They're very in tuned with nature, um, which is, it's not a UA that is officially released. The turtle, Yeah. Uh, it just in its own separate thing. Um, what other, I mean, really, Furbog. Furbogs would yes. be a unbelievably fitting, fitting. Thing. Yeah. It's very it's just ridiculous how the Furlbog like kind of, idealizes this idea yeah it really hates the destruction of nature mm -hmm. right but you know any kind of uh non-standard pc race is a really good fit for this yeah, yeah. also the furbog has two wisdom and one strength yeah which, <laughs> which is a perfect fit yeah, th yeah this is a ridiculously furlbog class this is what i would expect a furlbog to eventually do after living in a city for a right. few months <laughs> <laughs> just lose his shit you could also just a human would work yeah, of course. You can kind of, of whatever. They're kind of blank slates um, within the D&D &D world. How long do furbogs live for? I know it's really specific, I but you've got to go already. Yeah. yeah. Oh, reaches adulthood around 30, and the oldest of them can live for 500 years. Perfect. Okay, so I was thinking that uh, a reason why I would kind of stray away from humans is, I mean, kind of something we see in our day-to-day. -day. We don't live long enough to really see the consequences of these actions, mm -hmm. uh, whereas something that's living for 500 years... That's going to see a lot of shit and it's going to see how, oh, we built up this city and didn't take care of the surrounding area. We let things get out of hand and what a surprise, like I knew 200 years ago, problems happened. Right. You know, so 70 years to a human, super long time to them. Meh. So I, I really like that as a race idea. It, it, it also fits very well with the uh, Frobog stereotypical niceness mm -hmm. they really are supposed to be a very nice race but that ends you know when you start destroying the forest right. start polluting the rivers i can see a furlbog just flying off the handle and eventually <laughs> being like, no i will not stand by while you do this i'm mm -hmm. not going to support you for economic gain while you destroy the things i've loved for 300 years right Right, that's really good. Thanks. Yeah, it's one possible issue, though. That would be a hard character to start at level one. Because that's very much backstory stuff. That would be hard to fit into a campaign. Kind that of. That would be like you come in at level five and you're druid four, barbarian one. Well, how you were describing it, where they are druids, it's expected that they are druids. They're brought in as druids, and then they leave with this barbarous rage. Mm -hmm. um, I would actually start it off with level one druid. And then when you want to take barbarian, that's you starting to understand the rage that you've already been through. So okay. being able to actually hone it instead of just fly off the handles. Okay. Um, so I can it, see that it does play off as like just a backstory thing. Like one time you went into this crazy rage. What level do you get rage at? Is that uh, one? I'm pretty sure it's one. Okay. That that's what be... I figured. Um, so I like the thing that the idea of the rage feature is you honing the rage. Uh, whereas before it's going to be just you flying off the handles when it's not appropriate. Yeah. No, okay. I will always yeah. support that on a barbarian. A lot of people shit on the barbarian for basicness. It, it really isn't about being mad and angry and smashing stuff. It's about doing 
those things in a very specific controlled way. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. mastery of rage. It's not just rage. Right, exactly. So I think that'd be yeah. actually a pretty good class to take from okay. your specific yeah. thing when you want to. Yeah, that's fair. And then initially, also, as I was thinking it would kind of pigeonhole you into the berserker because it's all about your rage and all that. But it, it doesn't have to. You, you could play it like the... Um, totem. Yeah, totem warrior where... So you're embodying the bear, the wolf, or the eagle, which are all hunters and you know. Um, so it's kind of almost like you're realizing, all right, you accept this rage you have, you internalize it, you wield it and direct it to where you want to go, and as you actually get more and more into it, then nature and that's of your druid comes in, and you can actually embody the rage of a bear, the rage of a wolf. Mm-hmm. No, I like so that. Kind of yeah, mesh them together. Right. I think um, one thing that I'd take away from this is I would be a lot more specific with the wild shape I turn into as a druid. Um, It's kind of implied that your barbarian totems, you're going to stick to that path. It says you have the ability to take uh, bear at this level and then wolf later on. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it really is kind of stressed that you're probably going to stick with one of these. Um, so I think that actually be kind of nice where not only are you the bear totem, but also you mainly turn into a bear, uh, and you just kind of level up your bear as the challenge rating gets higher. Uh, cause yeah. that, that is a thing. I mean, you can start at black bear and then move on to brown bear and whatever Color else. Color bear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I think Except that works I think out. Dire bear is a thing. And- Astral bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like I really like the flavor of this because the idea of a druid kind of turning into a bear, you know, fucking shit up, being a badass bear. When they go down, they come back out just as vicious as the bear that yeah. was just lost. I think they would still be raging. Too. Yes, they would still yeah. be raging. This is, this is the beauty of it. Right. Yeah, it's such a hard to kill class combination. Uh, especially if you start to go down the line of, um, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking conjuring with circle of the shepherd. Never mind. No. Okay. Yep. I say, yeah, if you go down the totem one, you take the you resistance. bear thing, yeah, resistance to all damage while mm-hmm. raging, which applies in your wild shape. Yep. And then if the wild shape goes to zero, you just re- re- revert back to your normal form mm-hmm. with whatever health you have beforehand. Plus carry over. But, um, I mean, this is a lot simpler uh compared to the entire society that a druid is brought into Mm -hmm. uh but even just being raised by bears which is like a lot of times comes up as a druid i don't think anybody's ever been raised by bears that's where it's funny you hear raised by wolves all the time why not bears all right this is down the sillier route i'm not gonna argue that but you know you're raised by bears you go down the bear totem you always turn into bears exact same class features with a less heavy tone uh which I would say normally we'd stray away from, but I could see a lot of people not wanting to go down this entire, there's a society that's destroying nature. And it's like, whoa, that's too much. I just want to be raised by bears. Great. Here you go. Would they speak? Up to uh, you, man. Do bears speak? <laughs> <It doesn't laughs> no, they can speak. You know, you'd just be like, um, you'd have a proclivity towards berries and salmon, you know? <laughs> Which I already do. I I love berries. <laughs> I love salmon. Great. One of the favorite, my favorite Great fish. meat, great fruit. Yeah. I cannot stress enough that foraging is a salmon good life. Salmon is overrated. Salmon is not overrated. Kevin does mean? not know what he's talking about. What do you mean salmon's overrated? I don't like salmon. It's I, one of the more meatier fishes. I really I know. appreciate I, I don't that. Like Every time I hear Kevin talk about salmon, I get mad. Are you talking about like, obviously no, it, you've tried it both raw matter. salmon and cooked salmon. Yes. Yeah, it's sushi, like, yeah, that that's fine. Okay. Um, cooked salmon, like a filet of salmon. And I've had nice salmon. Like I've, I've been to Alaska and like have eaten salmon that they caught in the river two days the, or that morning. I still don't like it. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I mean, you're wrong, but okay. It's the best fish. I I think it's one of the better fish. What's your favorite fish? I like the heavier, oily fish. So um, you like the fishy flavor? No, I don't. That's oh. the problem with salmon. I think it has such a strong fishy flavor. All right. So you um, like halibut's good, monkfish, uh, flounder. Oh. Okay. That is weird. You're a weird guy. Whatever. I feel like it's the steak of fish. Yeah, it is the Welcome steak of to fish. Monsters and fish talk. <laughs> We're big fish aficionados here. Apparently. Aficionados. Yes. 
Cleveland, Ohio, all that I great Lake Erie that. fish. <laughs> no, we actually do get really good fish here. Yeah, we do. Um, what did, what's Lake our main walleye? Walleye is a big is one. The big Perch. one. I really like walleye. I mean, like for a cheap fish. Yeah, I'm not trying. White to like... fish is white fish is whatever, right? But uh, Kevin's like here, like shilling for white fish. When we're offering the steak of fish, and he's like, oh, "No, I'm not a big fan of the steak. The steak of fish. What's your favorite a, kind of hell steak? If it's more expensive. Than I salmon. like ground beef. <laughs> That's Kevin right now. Salmon helper. Salmon helper. <laughs> Grind up some salmon, mix it in with some macaroni and cheese. Oh, Oof. yeah. Craft mm. <laughs> mac and cheese, best mac and cheese. Getting back on topic. Oh, we had a topic? We have this bear guy who loves salmon and berries because Actually, he is a red-pilled individual who understands reality. We've never... I, I wish there was more of an ability to have a druid that focuses on oceanic life. That is an extremely fresh in point. They do. <laughs> they, I, I'm actually surprised they did not introduce this with the Mariner uh, style UA. You got your storm sorcerer. Right, you got right. your fighter that doesn't sink is essentially the best <laughs> way to put it. But uh, you did not get a druid. You no. did not get it. And I think there is a flexibility in the class that kind of makes up for that, and that you can be an ocean druid. But not until so like a certain the, level. The, you have the the land one, circle mm-hmm. the land. Right. And they get the specific spells based on like your what you want to pick, and there's a coast one. Okay, what are those spells? Do you have it up in front Mirror of you? Image, Misty Step, uh, which is third level. Fifth level, Water Breathing, Water Walk. Seventh, control water, freedom of movement, and ninth is Druid level ninth, not ninth level. Spell. I assumed, yeah. Yeah, conjure elemental and scrying. That honestly feels like phoning it into me. Yeah, I yeah. agree. That's pretty mediocre. Yeah. Um, hey, you're right. There's I don't really say a... that the circle of the land is a bad choice here, no. but it is not a great choice for this multi-class. No, 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 not at all. Um, I just think uh, a fish barbarian sounds hilarious. Yeah, a fish barbarian <laughs> would be hilarious. Yeah, and they turn into like a sword, a fish. raging swordfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be nice to have the versatility. I mean, I, I guess you can have. That you happen. totally can. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you. What level do you get a swim speed? Do you remember? I really uh, should have had the book open in front of me. I'm sorry. Uh, I keep asking you. Feet, this D and D Beyond thing is just too nice. <laughs> so uh, let's see here. Fourth. Fourth level, that's not yeah, bad no, at all. It's very so low. fourth level, you're out in sea for whatever reason, and you just turn into a raging swordfish. That's awesome. I love the flavor of that. That's almost as good as the smiting eagle. It's up there. It's it's definitely up there. It is. Which is the paladin druid uh, episode. That five. one. Don't even try five. <laughs> you think? Yep. Okay. That one was a really shitty starter for us, but. Turned out really great. This one starts too similar great. because it's yeah. it's just great, but it started out great too. You know, I I do not particularly like the druid class. I think it needs work. But Why do you say that? It, I think there's a complexity added with anybody who turns into something else, mm-hmm. and that's always going to be one of those kind of hard sells for especially new players any new player i would never ever advise that they take a class where they turn into something with a different stat block yeah that's fair i, I agree it's a it's a tough class i want to say it needs work it's just it's a tougher class mm-hmm. and I, I think we mentioned it before and um we played with somebody it was her first time playing and she wanted to do a druid and, right and we helped her build it but you can tell she kind of struggled to just yeah. make the most of it yeah which is, which is i would have agreed yeah i've actually never played a druid now that i'm you know like I'm just going to put it out there and say, an expert on D&D, 5th edition, I should play a druid and see what we can do with it. This is actually one thing that's been kind of frustrating about running this podcast, is we keep on making these really cool character right? ideas, and I keep on like returning back every Wednesday to my basic paladin, and I'm like, oh, I could do something pretty cool. <laughs> but here I am, just I, trying to... Uh, you got that sexy whip. I don't want to talk about that, <laughs> but I will talk about it. Um, so... Based on our talks about whips Nettington, uh, we realized that a paladin can smite through their whip. And I was like, hey, that'd actually be pretty cool. I would like to work that in on a RP level into my current character, Galatea. 
And Kevin took that Don't as... Don't glaze over all the details. Fine. Go into the details, because, you pervert. Yeah. No. <laughs> these are not perverted details. Where are you going to buy a whip? So we, we were in the Underdark. Yes. And he starts talking about how, all right, so you have this whip, and we, all right, how would we play it? So you have your great sword, and then you pull out this whip to get the 10-foot smite reach and like yeah, yeah that, that's a little weird but i say i guess you could still keep control of your greatsword in your left hand you can't hit with it well you have your whip in your right and then you whip it and smite with it and then you just drop it and then you could have your greatsword again it's like okay but that's a one-time use thing so it escalated to oh i could have like a bandolier of whips i could strap whips to my body and just pull them off as needed and recollect them after the battle so this asshole was really trying to cheese this even though that was technically raw <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, all right, I'm, it's raw. I'm not going to argue with you. But all right, you want to explain how you end up, ended up with your whip? Yeah. So we're going through the uh, a gnome society city in uh, in the Underdark. Blingdenstone. It is Blingdenstone. Yes. Um, and it's mentioned at one point that there's a, a risque shop in the area. And it's kind of like, hey, you know what? That sounds interesting. Like, let's all just check it out. That sounds funny. And of course we get there and Kevin mentions there's an entire wall of intricately designed whips. And this was something that I brought up to him that, you know, if I'm going to make this an RP thing, it should be that my character is obsessed with the idea of whips. They sound interesting. But of course they need to be in a sex shop, right? fucking dick (laughs) so that was his punishment towards me for wanting to do something that's a little bit traditional lawful good right very much so so i'm i I had to play it off i i continue to because even in real life it was mildly embarrassing uh but play it off as very uh, bashful and like oh i swear this isn't a sex thing (laughs) and now you have a whip on you that can dev oh oh it's oh god damn it (laughs) i just remembered it has um very phallic gnome imagery on the handle. It has two gnomes boning <laughs> into the handle. Phallic gnome imagery. imagery. <laughs> Actually, like I regret calling this podcast Monsters and Multiclass when we could have gone with phallic gnome <laughs> imagery. <laughs> I've seen a lot of bad stuff on the internet, so I, I, I really can visualize this whip. Better than I think a lot of people can. <laughs> so it makes my session just worse. <laughs> right. So I, I may be dropping that idea entirely if every time I want to grab a new whip, is it has to be at a sex shop. Thanks, Kevin. You're welcome. <laughs> There's like a DM fiat on Whips Neddington. <laughs> Whips Neddington at this point has become more of a hero than a character. Yeah. The, the idea of using whips and nets is just... It transcends boundaries. It's like the nil bog <laughs> of class composition. Everyone's possessed eventually by the desire to use whips and nets. <laughs> I loved your character's reaction in, in, in character with it. So you get this and Jared's character was asking Wills, who was a forge cleric. You could probably like fashion like a metal cover for this handle that fits, right? It's like, oh, no, I would never cover up such great craftsmanship. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, RP wise, it sounded like it looked great. It was. It, yeah. it is. Somebody's very dedicated to the craft of yeah. making sexy, kinky whips. No forge cleric would ever spit on the work of another artisan, you know. But so, regardless, what circle are we thinking for druid? Any of them? Well, really? Well, no, no, no. So, circle of the moon, which is the one that buffs the wild shape. That's the obvious one, right? That's because that best. works so well with barbarian since all the barbarian stuff reckless attacks and resistances and raging works with that i also think that circle of the shepherd's pretty nice i like the idea of you summon a herd of like eight bears and then Mm -hmm. you turn into a bear yourself exactly (laughs) and they they also get those really nice auras um Mm -hmm. and by really nice i mean pretty all right uh they're nothing super special i don't have the exact stats memorized it it is a big loss though when you do not take the circle that benefits you transforming. All right, all right. It's true. Um, yeah, but if we're just talking about turning into a bear and then you've got resistances on top of it, it makes the moon druid feel less necessary. Uh, a lot of times when I look at the druid, I just think, you know, if you're going to be wild shaping at all, then the circle of the moon is going to be your best bet because it gives you so many more benefits to going into this wild shape. Uh, but circle of the shepherd 
is giving you some nice auras that kind of buff your just general your party. Um, and then your barbarian resistances make it a lot less difficult to uh, just handle that in general. But at the same time, with the Moon Druid, you can rage and turn into your wild shape in one turn, which is just too nice. You just have one turn of setup instead of two. Right. Um, yeah, if, if that's what you're looking to do, be a raging bear or a wolf or eagle or whatever, you would have to go that route. Uh, it's just because like, I'm looking at it. If you don't go Circle of the Moon, by 8th level, you could turn into a challenge rating 1 creature. Ugh. And it's really, really limited. And that's 2nd level, 1 4th. At 4th level, 1 half. And that, that that's it. You never go above 1st level, and you only get to that at 8th. That's kind of where I'm saying like the Druid like it, it is a hard sell for a lot of people. Yeah. It, it, you get to be a shitty animal. Like, you're yeah, a full you caster. Circle of the moon. Unless you go Circle yeah. of the Moon. Circle of the uh, Blast, essentially, is... I, it's not a great class, and it's hard to play. Yeah, and, and one of the issues with Circle of the Shepherd is that it... Uh, six level starts to fall off since you can't conjure and rage. Um, you know, you have to conjure beforehand, then rage, then turn into your wild shape. It's just a lot of stuff before yeah. you, you go through it all. And you don't have to be Circle of the Shepherd to conjure. You don't. Bears. No, it's just That's, the best way yeah. to, to conjure because they get temp HP in addition to your level, I think, your your druid level. Mm-hmm. It's pretty Something good. Something like that. I guess I could pull it up. It's not important. <clears throat> it's not. Something like that. They get Their summons are better. <laughs> um, I wrote down very briefly. Uh, I only have two lines about this, so it's not going to go far. The uh, a fairy barbarian, uh, which I'm imagining the uh, the rock in the tooth fairy, which I never watched, but I know is a movie. How are you uh, going to become a fairy? Circle of the dreams, or circle of dreams. It's a uh, a druid one. The that's one of the new ones. Correct? Yes, it's also Xanathers. in Xanthers. Yeah, Xanathers. Um, I, I literally wrote down. It sounds funny, at least. Tenth <laughs> <laughs> level, you can teleport. Um, but I have no way flavor-wise to work in the uh, Barbarian Rage. Uh, a lot of it is about serenity. So it kind of falls into, like when we talked about Monk Barbarian, where they're very counteracting points. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like the idea of a Barbarian teleporting around the battlefield and sprinkling fairy dust. I- I'm still not getting, where Where does the fairy come from? Circle of the Dreams, I don't know. Again, I'm just I'm honestly you, you just... You can't play as a fairy. No, I literally am just imagining the rock in the Tooth Fairy. But this is not you a character anybody, no, anybody can build. No, it is, to an extent. I say the, the fairy aspect is just like how you treat your character. So can you, can you actually become a fae creature? No. All right. No, so. you're literally just prancing around. That's right. what I mean by fairy. All right. I can, I can <laughs> see why that's okay. stupid and not worth talking about. But. Nope. We'll talk about it anyways. <laughs> uh, in the sense of saying the circle of the dreams about tranquility and all that, and it's against the rage, it could be you, you realize you're flawed and you have this anger, mm-hmm. so you let it out in short, controlled bursts, so the rest of the time you're very calm and even, even keeled. There we go. See, that's all something. Right. I can work with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, I literally wrote down, sounds funny. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not expecting this to be some, some intricate design. Um, I just like the fact that you can teleport around. That's yeah. literally it, yeah. mechanically speaking. So I have Shrug. another detailed idea. So the first one will start as a druid. Now mm-hmm. this one will start as a barbarian. All right. Um, you could start as the classic stereotypical barbarian. You're in a tribe out in the wilderness surviving. You're a warrior for them. You harness your anger. It's how everyone trains. Nothing unique there for the barbarian. Uh, at some point, your tribe is attacked by a rival tribe, evil creatures, whatever, and you lose. Your tribe is destroyed. They're decimated. You manage to survive. Make it. Try and make it on your own out on the wilderness and find that's very difficult. It was the community sense keeping you alive. So you find your way to a city or a village. Some nice family takes you in and they care for you and you help out and around the farm or, or whatever. And you kind of live the simple life for a little bit as they help you adapt to city life. But you still have that longing for the wilderness. So you pick up the adventuring life. That's where you come in at level one as this character. Okay. So 
you're kind of this creature of both worlds, the wilderness and the city, and you go out adventuring to try and to satisfy, you know, go have an outlet for that rage you've been trained to harness your entire life and to be able to go out in the wilderness and get away from the city. Um, at some point in one of these adventures, you were almost killed. Uh, something goes wrong. This could very much be an event that you work out with your DM or it could be part of a backstory based on what level you come in. And, and you essentially lose again. You're almost killed. But it seems nature itself almost seems to save you. Um, a you know, Some enemy is supposed, about to strike the killing blow. And a bear comes out of nowhere and mauls the sky. And leaves you alone and lets you get away. Or you're, fo- you're left for dead and this river swells up and gently floats you downstream to safety. It's something like that. And while you're unconscious like this, you have a vision with... You could be really on the nose and say literally it's Mother Nature, it's some old lady, or a a spirit of the forest, or the the goddess of nature, whatever, however you want to do it, who is worried that the balance between the civilized world and the natural world is falling out of whack. The civilized world is growing too quick, and nature needs a spokesperson, needs a champion. And because you are this skilled warrior who is a creature of both worlds, you are chosen. And they bestow these druid powers upon you and you wake up with these new powers. And now you kind of have this new task you need to figure out, try and get used to your druid powers and go from there. Yeah, I mean, that that's a, a really intricate backstory. I guess it kind of blows my fairy barbarian out of the water. <laughs> But you know, this goes back to the fact that this class center, this class combination synergizes so well. Right, right. A druid is essentially one very angry incident from being a barbarian. Yeah, and a barbarian is one very like introspective moment from being a druid. Yeah, right? yeah. No, totally. So that's a very good idea. I like that a lot. I, I feel like there's. Basically, what that brings to light is the fact that you can make a lot of different combinations of this. It's a very open-ended uh, RP class. Mechanically mm-hmm. speaking, we should also mention that like, there's not a huge amount of stuff that they require. A druid is not an armored warrior who's no. specialized in weapons, and neither is a barbarian. No. A bar- they're both, generally speaking, unarmored creatures with very little focus on... The weapons they use. It's all about that rage. It's all about that damage that they get from being mad. You know, we can completely ignore the fact that they are a druid or a barbarian for the fact that they just need to smash something with a log. Right. Right. Yeah. The only time where there comes conflict is the fact that you can't cast spells while you're raging. And you've got a full spellcaster that can't cast spells for most of its life. Because, you know, it's kind of expected you're going to be raging... Most of the time, I've never really had a fight with a barbarian that didn't rage, you know, three out of every four combats. Right. Um, So, you know, when you're not raging, you still have those spells. That's kind of nice. It just offers a little bit more versatility. Maybe you're taking more um, or or less combat focused spells. So when you're out of combat, you've got a lot of utility. Druids offer a bunch of that. But this does fit a nature campaign a lot better than any other campaign, uh, which is honestly one of the limiting factors, in my opinion. I don't think this character would make a lot of sense in Out of the Abyss, one of the ones we're playing right now. Um, it would be hard to develop it in the sense we've been talking about, but you know, if they were already an established character, that's you know, they got captured by draw slavers, and now they have to deal with this. Right. I mean, it's and that's the fair. underdark is still nature. It's still the wild. You world. are losing out on a lot of potential, though, because yeah. the the fact that somebody loves nature is a it, it's inconsequential in a non adversarial environment. The underdark will always win when it comes to industrialization. Right. There's no struggle right. there, so you are kind of existing in a life that does not have a struggle for you morally. True. Unless the smog is killing the mushroom people. They aren't. No. That's, that's, that's <laughs> just not. This is one of the fun things of climate change. If everything goes to shit and all the bees die, you know who's going to take over? The mushrooms. Oh, like, no. mushrooms do not care. That's the issue with the Underdark, is that any kind of, like, ecological struggle you engage in is pointless because the Underdark wins. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
again, fitting in with, I just don't think this would be great in that campaign, yeah. which isn't a problem. I mean, right. a lot of the characters we bring up no, aren't great obviously. in every single campaign, uh, but this one fits much better in a open world kind of roaming the countryside type deal. Right. Um, if I almost feel like they lose something if the focus of the campaign doesn't have anything to do with nature. Well, even if the focus isn't there, you know, the overworld is at war with nature and they're kind of winning. Okay. That's how our world works. That's how their world works. Right. Civilization encroaches on nature in the underdark totally thrown out the window because every civilization you establish will always be on like an even footing with the nature that's coming in around them. So yeah, no, it's one of those things that really benefits itself from an open world campaign. And you know, really you cannot do this with like the structured D and D campaigns that currently exist. No, I mean, maybe Horde of the Dragon Queen, but that's... Even the Horde of the Dragon Queen, you know, that's not... It's hard to justify your own personal feelings, you know. Right. Your and characters... It's, it's We've discussed it before. Right. I don't know if it was on air here or not, but... Yeah, the concept of... In, in these big world threatening epic adventures, it's that stuff overrides the personal wants and needs of any character you play. Yep. And it kind of stunts that growth. Yep. Definitely. So it would be like something that you just have to keep on bringing up randomly. Yeah. Or it's like yeah. you, you go into a village and they talk about like, oh, we've been attacked by cultists recently. And you're like, but how do they feel about nature? What? Fuck what off. are their logging policies? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, this is one of those characters that really just thrives if it gets its own kind of thing going. You know, if you have a campaign that really benefits it, it's great. Right. But, you know, outside of that. It's just mechanically decent. Right. Which then brings up the idea of an entire party of barbarians, druids, and multi-class barbarians and druids. Maybe rangers as well. Just like a an eco-warrior campaign. Which could be pretty fun, actually. Yeah. Uh, where just everybody kind of focuses in on the idea of, like, we're here to let nature prevail. We're going to dismantle society. It might not even be, a, like, a, a good campaign. Uh, but that could be pretty fun. I'd play in that. I would, yeah. Or we just like go around and just destroy cities. I'm always down for deep ecology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other like class synergy? I say I, I feel I, like a lot of the stuff just does not work. Like the mushroom uh, style druid that was recently re- released in the Vinica. Yep. Is. It, it benefits from itself. It's not a good synergizer for this. The best synergizer is turning into a bear and raging. Yeah. Yep. Or um, I, I like at level 10 of Circle of the Moon, you could turn into elementals. Yep. Air, earth, fire, water elementals. And raging is those. <laughs> and they're ridiculous. big. They're large. Like earth elementals have something like 170 health. That, that turns... That really, like, honestly, if you do this kind of thing... Your DM might hate you, yeah, <laughs> because it's like, oh, how many, uh, how much hit points do I have with my PCs? You've got fifty, you've got seventy-five, <laughs> you've got forty-nine, you've got uh, effectively two hundred and ninety. <laughs> what the hell, man? <laughs> You're like this just monster, earth right? Right, I mean, it, it does get kind of monstrous. That's why I'm saying, like, almost a uh, a campaign centered around characters like this. Might be better, because otherwise you're probably going to outshine a lot of people. Um, Again, my only issue is this comes up with you can't cast a ton of spells. You're a a full spellcaster that's not going to get a bunch of utility out of that. Um, So Barbarian seems like the way to go. Do you think they scale linearly, both of them? I can't think of a a reason to The answer is yes and no, in my opinion. Depends um, on what you're going for. Yeah, barbarians do scale linearly for uh, damage reasons. Right. Especially the rage uh, and how often they can rage. Exactly. And circle of the moon. Or really just the wild shape scales based on the wizard level. Now, druid level. Well, you keep doing I that. Why, why would a druid have wizard level? <laughs> well, that'll come up in episode 14. I don't know when it's going to no, come up. It's, it's all That's going to be a regrettable fucking Wizard druid. <laughs> I hate that. It'll I hate that already. Before. It's going to come up and I hate it. But no, you're right. Is like the they do scale, but once you reach a certain point, it doesn't matter for a lot of these classes. Right. Barbarians do not get anything game changing 
They just kind of, you know, middle of their way through absurd amounts of damage. Is Brutal Critical 9? Level 9? Brutal Critical is actually pretty low. Eh, I think it's 9. No, that's high level, yeah. Uh, I mean, regardless, like, a lot of the things that Barbarians get are just, like, good. Yeah. You know, they don't have anything that I would consider to be, uh, like, just thrown away. So, totally up to you how many levels you want to take in each. Uh, I think right. you could do one and then the other your pro- literally every your time. Your best bet, in my opinion, is going to be topping druid levels off on your barbarian. Because the barbarian is never going to not be useful. Once you get what you want from the druid, you're just a very scary bear. What happens yeah, at level but- 10 with barbarian? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing happens. All right. Well, then I mean, level ten. You're saying you get the uh, the elementals thing with Circle of the Moon. Oh, you get a path feature. I'm sorry. I, okay. I was looking at the general. Oh, okay. Well, so then it's really varied. It's for uh, totem of the bear or whatever totem warrior. It's yeah. basically nothing. I don't like any of the level ten totem features. I, I don't dislike them. They're Actually, you get mediocre. Spirit Walker, oh. which is garbage. You could cast commune with nature, but as a ritual. Yeah. It's not. No, so it's nothing really garbage. great there. Um, but if ribbon. you finish off, like, let's say you're getting to level 20 and you take that 10th level in Druid, we're talking your capstone basically being turning into an elemental with the ability to rage, take half damage to absolutely everything besides psychic damage. Right. That's a better capstone than a lot of classes. Yeah, I say that's. That would be beneficial probably all the way up to 20. Right. Um, the only reason I would say it's... You, you were saying go as high as you want in Barbarian just and only get a little bit in Druid is if you're going the Wild Shape route, that's really, really limiting because that mm-hmm. is on Druid level. Yes. So you could be a level 15 character who can only Wild Shape into a challenge rating one thing. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like at level two, that's what it is. You can mm-hmm. tra- challenge rating one. Right. Right. So Circle that's of the Moon. So if you do keeps- do the half and half... I think half and half barbarian druid is like just kind of an offensively difficult to kill character. Yeah, yeah just do one then the other and just yep, keep on layering it. Uh, I I feel like every time we talk about druid, we land on circle of the moon is probably the best. I think we've only talked about it once before. for multi-classing. Yeah. For multi-classing, um, yes. The the reality is that feature buffing itself is so much better than other things. Right. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this? No, I think it sounds fun, though. Week? I, yeah, I really do like this sure. class idea. Um, we've had a, a couple good ones in a row. It feels feels nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I support this character. I would actually roll this character. Oh, yeah. sweet. That's the first time I, I've ever said that. Yeah, honestly, you're, you're moving towards actually embracing multi-classes? Just a little, just a little. I mean, next one we roll is probably going to be so garbage, I'm going to kill myself, but... Wait. That's extreme. All right. Yeah. Wizard fucking druid. I'm now going to have what is the next, next one. Uh, the next one is... Well, I already... Listen to I the know. end of the episode to find out what the next class build will it's be. Sorcerer Monk. Why are you being a dick? Oh, it's Sorcerer <laughs> Monk. All right. Nope. Sorcerer Monk's not bad. Yeah, Sorcerer yeah. Monk could be fun. I got ideas for that. Same but here. Wizard Druid is going to keep me up at night. All right. Let's move on to the Monster of the Week. Yeah. All, All right. right. Let's hear it. Ribbit. Ribbit. <coughs> Ribbit. Sorry, yeah, just had a, a frog in my throat. Wait, no, that's the frog Hemoth, our monster of the week. An amphibious predator, this humongous frog beast weighs in at a challenge rating of 10 with 184 HP. There is no explanation of where they come from, but one thing is known. Where there's a frog Hemoth, there will be Bullymongs. When a Billymong tribe finds these creatures, they lure them into their dens with food offerings to attempt to satiate the monster's voracious appetite. Here, they will bow down to their new god and do anything they can to please it, even if it means sacrificing a few of their own. So, let's get into it. Wow. You really... I know, I went all out for that one. (laughs) Frog Hemoth. Yes. It's a fun one, honestly. Um... As I mentioned, they, they've got this fun flavor where if a Bullymong tribe finds a frog human... What are you saying? What do you mean? Bully what? Bullymong. Bullywug. Bullywog. Bullywog. Bullymongs are from uh, Borderlands. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> this is what happens when you spend 
over a hundred hours in that terrible game. Quite literally over four hundred. Should we start over? No. You sure? U G S bullywugs. Bullywugs. I totally. They're the frog monsters of this game. Not bullymongs. Bullymongs are totally the things in Borderlands. They are. Oh my god. Borderlands Two. If anybody's wondering. (laughs) Such a good game. It's not great. Um. So yeah, let's hear it. Bullywongs. Bullywogs? Bullywogs. Bullymongs. Oh, man. This is never going to go well. <laughs> no, it's not. All right. Um, yeah, so the frog people, right? Frog people. Yes. Uh, when they find one of these frog hemoths, they just, like, lure it into a, a cave of some sort and just try and appease it as much as they can, uh, which I love because that brings in some fantastic arc uh, ideas. Uh, for example, you can just be wandering around into a, a swamp type area and come across this makes for a, a pretty good session to be honest if whatever reason that your your characters are in there um and you know you're you're going through you're finding these bullywogs and uh maybe they lure you in through less than uh, no no combat. They lure you in without combat to try and get you into the area and fight this frog hemoth uh, because it's trying to eat you. Uh, but above all, this thing just has a very fun uh, combat, I feel like. It has a lot of a lot of abilities that can screw your PCs over. It's uh, One of the things that's pretty uh, present in any kind of monster is the swallow mechanic right getting eaten by a monster is a bad thing this is one of the uh, lower challenge rating enemies that can swallow your pcs and with stuff that can hold two that's extremely obnoxious right. especially for someone this low challenge rating you got to do 20 damage in a turn just to get thrown up you know this is one of those things if you have an annoying pc just eat him just swallow them up. <laughs> You've got a barbarian druid in your party. Just gobble them down. So if we're saying level 10, which is what this frog hemoth is, or I'm sorry, challenge rating 10, uh, that's saying that for a party of level 10s, it's a medium encounter. You'll probably be level 7 or 8 if you're throwing it out at them. Um, you think it's really hard to do 20 damage in one turn? No. No, but it is a... It is a gate that you have to pass. Okay. You know, it's one of those things that you might not necessarily pull off in the first turn. You might not necessarily pull it off in the second turn. And being mm-hmm. swallowed by the bullywog, it's like ultra grapple. Right. And this yeah. is a fun mechanic for a DM to just be like, you know what? You're you're out of combat. You know, you know you've been Screwing up stuff because you're a barbarian druid or something. Right. Now you're in the bullywog stomach. Yeah. Right. And you are blinded and restrained, so disadvantage on any attack and right. any spell that requires sight you can't cast, <sighs> which is a lot of them. That is. That's a lot, actually. You cannot fireball your way out of this. Yep. That's pretty good. Uh, though you'd probably be fireballing yourself in that scenario, but exactly. I mean, it's, it's something to get out of it, right? Uh, that, that you can't do. Um, it does have multi-attack. Of course, it's something that's challenge rating 10. So it makes three attacks, two with its tentacles, one with its tongue, or its bite. Uh, the bite is the one that allows you to swallow. Uh, so that's just devastating. I mean, we're saying that the, the tentacles, when they hit, they automatically grapple. Uh, and it's a, a DC 16 to escape. Difficult enough. Uh, Hard, not too impassable. No. But it's a challenge, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, that once you get over 15, it starts to become something to actually think about. Uh, so it really has a lot of battlefield control uh, by only being one creature. Say the, the tentacles right. allow it to actually uh, reach out with a reach of 20 feet, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. It can hit anything. Right. So you're not uh, one of these singular creatures that's just bogged down by uh, needing to move around or maybe getting uh, stuffed up by that paladin who's just getting in your face and, and you can't take care of. The paladin gets in your face, you just bite him. You just take care right. of him. Goodbye, or paladin. you tentacle it for 3d8 plus 6 damage with a plus 10 to hit. Mm-hmm. And then you bite it while it's grappled. Right. So it can yeah. it can also grapple four characters at once. That's just with its tentacles. It says right. it has four tentacles, and that's excluding the fact that it's going to try and bite and swallow, uh, which does a ton of damage 
3d10 plus 6 piercing damage, and if it's swallowed, it's 3d6 acid damage at the start of each of the frog hemoths turns. Yeah. Uh, and So you're just ripping through them. If you've got two people swallowed, that's, you know, 66 worth of damage just from starting its own turn. Yeah. And in the swallow just happens if bite hits. That's it. There's no additional save. Yep. The bite's a plus 10 to hit and reach 5 feet. If it hits and you're medium or smaller, you're swallowed. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's scary. This is actually, like, the swallow mechanic especially is a very good way to bring out the best in players that might not participate in combat as enthusiastically as some others. If you've got a paladin, they're probably going to be the, uh, the the showboater. They're going to be doing this damage. If you put the paladin in the frog heme of the stomach, you really do throw it on the rest of the party to be like, hey, we got to step up. Yeah. You don't have that smite damage anymore, you know? Right, it's true. And that's a great opportunity. Just kind of build what your characters are doing. One thing on, on top of this uh, difficulty of getting out by doing 20 damage, it has to beat a DC 20 constitution save, which sounds really terrible until you realize that it has a plus 9 to constitution. So that's saying it has to roll an 11 or lower, or I'm sorry, a 10 or lower to fail this. To not throw you up. To not throw you up. Right. So it's so, got a really good chance of holding you down. 50-50, right. basically. Yeah. And then the tongue attack, uh, which is, it could do in place of its bite for a multi-attack. It's another 20-foot range. Uh, the target makes a DC 18 strength saving throw or be pulled to within five feet of the frog hemoth, who could then make a bite attack as a bonus action. Oof. So good. Yeah. So then, you know, you're you're doing this. The tongue is is really uh, better than the bite in is, in yeah. almost any scenario because you can uh, use two of the tentacles, do the tongue bonus action bite. That's four attacks. That's a lot of damage, even towards these uh, higher challenge rating creatures or PCs that will right. be will be fighting it. Um, it's got pretty good resistances where it's resistant to fire and lightning damage. Um, fire is going to be your most common type of damage in general. Right. Um, it does have something interesting, though. Even though it's resistant to lightning damage, if the frog hemoth takes lightning damage, it suffers several effects until the end of its next turn. Its speed is halved and takes a minus two penalty to AC and dexterity saving throws, can't use reactions, or multi-attack. I mean, lightning damage does... It completely fucks it up. Yeah. it's That's a weird one, especially because it's resistant to yeah. lightning, but it has all these terrible effects. Exactly. Where did that come from? I don't, I don't know. understand the, the Someone at Wizards there. at the Coast probably tased a frog once. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should work that into a monster. But that's, The unfortunate thing is things like that that are very cool, that can very much level in the counter for a uh, party of PCs, they don't come up a lot. Because if you do know this... You have to throw it in the back of your mind. Right. If you don't know this, you'll probably never find it out. Unless you are a storm sorcerer. I'm, I'm serious. Like I mean, something if you're like a that. storm sorcerer, yeah. Right. <laughs> the frog hemoth will be a fun encounter right. for him to just ruin this guy. Exactly. Yeah. So like, that's just something you have to think about as a, as a DM. If you've got somebody who mainly casts lightning damage, which is specific, but is a thing. I mean, people might use... Um, is it, is it called lightning instead of firebolt? It's the, the level three spell. I think it is. Okay. Yeah. So you use that most commonly instead of fireball. Great. So this is going to be a really easy encounter for you. Lowering that AC, making it so it can only do an action or a bonus action, removing its multi-attack. I mean, that's just killer. It's too much. Right. Actually, it's kind of the key to beating it. Uh, just with how all these different attacks and the swallowing stack together. If you're under level 10, I don't know if a party of fours would really do well against They'd us. have a hard time, that's for sure. So that's kind of like the key. That's solving the puzzle. You have to give, do, find different ways to do shock damage to it. Right. Which, I mean, is can be simple once you figure it out. You do shocking grasp. and Yeah, but I mean, that's a melee range cantrip. Which you're going to be in melee range. I, honestly, yeah, is, And then they just swallow the guy doing shocking grasp. And then you can shock and grasp inside it. Yeah, it, it's it, if you, you do figure it out, be able to see. Uh, I don't know that. I think a touch range. I feel like you do not need to see them. You might need to, because uh, that's actually something that's come up. I was reading through uh, Jeremy Crawford's tweets as I do, uh, and he was mentioning that if you are blinded, you cannot cast a touch spell on yourself if it requires a 
um, visual component or what, what's the visual one? A creature you could see. Yeah. If it, if it says that at all, a creature you could yeah. see, then you can't cast it on yourself if you're blinded, hmm. which is kind of silly to an yeah. extent, but we're just assuming yeah. magic. Yeah, no, shocking grasp does not say anything about seed. It's a cool. melee spell attack. Cool. So, so it's you, not gonna, you would do it at disadvantage. Just fine. Cause yeah. you're in his stomach, but at the same time, like, you know, I feel weird. That about makes that. sense. He's like, you're zapping through your hand. Right. It's going to be hard not to touch the frog hemoth. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. But it, it really, this is one of those carry, uh, monsters that is very good for a low-level party to add challenge to something. And uh, Volo's, it's hit or miss, but we have a lot of fleshed-out stuff. If you have a bullywog kind of situation... This yes. is a great big oh, bad yeah. evil guy. Yeah, yeah. And then, so yeah. much better than the tribesmen of frog people that might throw spears at you. This is this is the, this is the boss you want for a frog campaign, right? And you have it with a bunch of bullywogs. Yeah, of course as well. Yeah, the smaller add-ons. Yeah, yeah. You could definitely do it where it's like a a, a level ten party uh, facing the frog hemoth and a slew of bullywogs. And I think that would be a very, very good final combat to an arc or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, the lead up to that can can go a, a couple of ways. And you, you have the usual, very simple mechanic of you go into a village, they're being harassed by bullywogs, blah, blah, blah. You go and find them. It's a frog hemoth. Ha ha. Um, but you I like really love that plot. Hook. It's so easy. I think you I, talk about it every episode. Exactly. You go to a village, they're being harassed by X. The, How many <laughs> villages are like generally at... Some kind of creature's whim, you know. What I'm saying is that's the very simple way of throwing this in. Like, right. you know, if you if you have zero creativity, like myself, then you could just <laughs> throw that in and say, yeah. When you write your happens. campaigns, when you're supposed to be working. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, like, in a, a more realistic sense is you're going to be walking through a swamp for something bigger. Uh, and then stumble across this type of thing. That's how you'd normally stumble across the frog hemoth is usually they just uh, hang out in a swamp and that could be a random encounter for a higher level party if you just yeah. wanted to be against one thing, um, which would be a very memorable uh, one-off encounter. You're walking through a swamp, boom, frog hemoth comes up. Uh, it might even get a surprise round on you, uh, right. which is scary as hell with something this powerful. Yeah. Uh, you know, tentacles you out, bonus action to tongue you and swallow you or not even a bonus action just continue that part uh you're gonna be dropping somebody to half health right away and focus forcing everybody to do that a uh, huge amount of damage and that's from inside it it has to be the 20 damage from inside it mm -hmm. so it's not like somebody outside can do 20 damage uh, that's right. just it's killer yeah also i think it might have been inspired by star wars and the, the trash compactor the right. monster in there yeah like it even talks about it has that eye stalk that just that's the only thing that sticks above the water mm -hmm. and then the big tentacles that reach out and grab someone pull them under it feels very reminiscent of that hmm. the real question is why a monster would be able to live in a trash compactor <laughs> i thought it was the trash compactor no no the trash compactor squishes people oh that's, that was like a big plot maybe the walls just don't go down all the way in the water and so it Dives down. That seems like a design flaw to me. I'm not going to disagree. Next no. time on Monsters and Trash Compactors, we discuss <laughs> the efficiencies of trash compactors. <laughs> but what? With <laughs> monsters in them. Um, so, I mean, can you think of other ways that you're going to run into a, a Bullywog Frog Hemoth mix here? It, it's one of those uh, very, very esoteric kind of things that... You're not going to run into a frog hemoth in a castle. No. This is a great swamp monster for mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't want to subject their entire party to black dragons. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, black dragons, as fun as they are, are encounter ruiners if you do not have the level to take care of them. Right. Right. But this is something that's like, oh, what is a threat in the swamp? An alligator? Uh, how about a frog hemoth? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. Say, it, it makes for. Uh, an interesting session. I just feel like it's very singular. That's my only issue. Well, I can think of only two reasons. Either you're just fighting it alone, or you stumble across it in a swamp, have to fight some bullywogs with it, 
But those are the only two I can think of. Nothing that really creates like it's not a campaign builder. No, flat out, definitely. It's not. going to be a session. It might be a singular encounter. Yep, which is fine. Yeah, totally. Because okay. I think it's again, it's very memorable. Um, I've actually been eyeing up the miniature for it. Uh, it's <laughs> you know, it's huge. It is a, a huge monstrosity. Yeah. Um, it's really good mini though. Uh, so if I want to spend twenty bucks, I might buy that. <laughs> <laughs> We, it, we have no huge minis. No, we don't. We always have to do kind of no the large. Wow, yeah. yet the huge ones you have to buy specially on their own, and they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Worth it. Kevin, keep dropping the pen. Sorry. Mm. All right, but I think the frog hemoth is good for low level, lower level parties that are looking for a challenge in a swamp. What do you mean by lower level? Uh, anything under ten. Okay, but like max, or I'm sorry, minimum of like, what, seven? Probably seven. Okay. You know, I can't imagine. On its own, if you have a party really specced for this guy, you could probably do it at five. But, yeah, you know, that's that's taking in the lightning susceptibility to it. Right. It is also a really good character to fuck with your high-level PCs that are walking through a swamp. Mm -hmm. You know, you're level 15. A frog hemoth still is not going to be an easy fight. No. It's a good way to beat people down and really ruin their day. See, you could even do it as a random encounter when you're level 15 and you just have a uh, a frog hemoth pop out of the swamp. And then once they're all tied up by the tentacles, you just get like 10 bullywogs come out from the uh, whatever, the, the outskirts of the battle area. And just no 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 and just stab into ribbit. them as well. Or just ribbit. They just ribbit. Yeah. <laughs> it makes more sense. Uh that could be fun. I say it's it's just a it's a quick one, but I, I really like it and I think it's it's so cool. Yeah, mechanically speaking, it looks fun to play as a DM. Right. There's That's so much you can do. What it comes down to. Yeah. I just want to DM it. <laughs> I want to eat my characters. I also like that it has plus five to stealth as one of its skills, which is a small thing, but just so that you can reasonably have your players walking and not notice it. So you can have that surprise round where, you know, maybe one or two people who are highly perceptive do notice it, and the three characters who are not highly perceptive get tentacled from the start. Yeah, that's that's like the core of the perception stealth thing, surprise rounds. A lot of DMs just kind of throw them at the party and do not care. It's like, oh, you didn't notice this. You just wanted advantage as a DM. Yeah. You really got to think yourself into situations where the frog hemoth probably would surprise the party. Right, exactly. Nobody expects the elephant-sized frog in the river. (laughs) (laughs) I was just pulling up pictures of the frog hemoth mini. It is really cool. Right, right. I would totally post a picture of it on Twitter at some point. Okay. But yeah, I like I like the design. I like the mechanics. I like everything about the frog humans. I even like the name. Yeah, even it's though great. it's it really is pretty fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a behemoth. It's like a behemoth, it's a frog. but it's a frog. Frog humans. Frog humans. Yeah. All right. Why try harder? Not everything can be the flail snail. <laughs> Not everything can be the flail snail. <laughs> uh, all right. Any other thoughts? No. No, I love it. I use right. it every time. All right. Well, Go. thanks for thanks for listening. Ribbit. 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 Wow. <laughs> I'm bad. the only one who can do this. <clears throat> All right. Ribbit. 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 Oh, Jesus. You're embarrassing yourself. Ribbit. 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 No, you're so fucking Ribbit. low. Ribbit. I'm the Matt Mercer. <clears throat> Damn it. Part I had it for like two seconds. You're all talentless nobody. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I can't make the sounds of a frog. Well, you're not going to play Ribbit. a frog hemoth. You're never going to attract a frog wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, and now that's actually episode. Yep. Next week on Monsters and Multiclass. We're going to be taking a look at the Monk Sorcerer Multiclass and the entirety of the Knolls. They range across the Monster Manual and Volo's Guide to Monsters. So make sure to tune in.